Psalm 133 says this, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Let's pray. Jesus, um, we just welcome you today. We welcome you by your Holy Spirit to come and help us learn more about you as we um, prayed and sang about earlier. We need you. We're absolutely reliant on you. We love you, Jesus, and we, we want to understand more about you. And, and today I pray that you would um, really give wisdom for people as they listen, that you'd give me words to speak, and that um, out of all of it, you would be glorified, and um, we'd learn more about the blessing of um, dwelling together in unity. Amen. Question. If God, I'm not suggesting you would, but if God were to take his Holy Spirit from our midst, would it be any different? Would your lives look any different? Would our meetings together look any different? This is a question that uh, one of the commentators asked in, in some of the books I've been reading for studying for today. And um, at the moment, we're looking at a series called Devoted, and we're studying Acts 2, where um, God poured out his Holy Spirit in an unprecedented way. And um, we're looking at what happened, what, what does a spirit-filled life look like, and what, and what difference was made when the Holy Spirit was poured out. Um, the context of Acts 2 is that the, there was a group of apostles gathered together, there was a number of people, a number of believers with them, and we're told there's about 120 in their number. And they're waiting, because prior to that, Jesus had promised that um, when he left, when he ascended into heaven, he would send another. He would send the Holy Spirit in his place, and they were waiting um, for the Holy Spirit to be poured out. And on the day of Pentecost, which was a Jewish festival, we're told that the Holy Spirit arrived and they were gathered together in the house and we're told that the Holy Spirit filled the room like the sound of a gushing wind. Like, I can't even imagine what that's like. It kind of circled around the room and then we're told that the Holy Spirit rested and divided on all those present and it appeared as though there were tongues of fire resting on them. And they started speaking and uttering in different tongues and languages and giving glory to God. Um, and that's where we're picking up from today, just this incredible scene where God just shows himself in an amazing way, totally new, uh, totally fresh outpouring that hadn't been experienced. And it's something that Jesus spoke about, something that he promised. And here we see um, the apostles and these believers receiving the Holy Spirit, and then their lives being transformed and changed from then on. And uh, so far we've looked at some different aspects um, we're told in Acts 2 that the apostles and these believers were then, as a result of the Holy Spirit being poured out, they were devoted to certain things. Uh, Rich spoke to us about the devotion that they had to the teaching and to the words. Uh, Steph spoke about the devotion that they had to uh, eating together and to sharing communion and to reclining and all sorts of things. And um, today we're going to be talking about the devotion that they had and they held to be dear in terms of fellowship. Uh, the principle that runs through this series is cause and effect. The cause is where the Holy Spirit is poured out, and there is an effect. There's multiple effects. Um, and so today we're looking at one aspect of the Holy Spirit, and uh, to be read, I guess, in context of the whole of Acts. Um, so I just want to read from Acts 2, when, from verse 42. So the Holy Spirit's been poured out. Peter has given this tremendous sermon. He's... Um, explained what's going on really to those around because some of them accused them of being drunk and not really getting what had happened. And um, he quoted from the prophet Joel, 
where it says that the Holy, where Joel prophesied that there'll be this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and uh, he preaches about Jesus, about the person of Jesus Christ, of who he was, and um, we're told that as a result of this, around 3,000 people were added. So, I mean, that was a pretty incredible day. Not only have they experienced this amazing manifestation of the Holy Spirit, but then 3,000 joined them. And then uh, verse 42, so my book says the fellowship of the believers, which sounds a bit hobbiton in some way, but um, this was way before then, I can guarantee you. So the fellowship of the believers, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came on every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So the word uh, fellowship in here is a Greek word called uh, koinonia. And um, it's a word that means to hold something in partnership or to have something in common. Um, and the root of it means to, to be in union with someone or with something, to be kind of joined, a bit like a husband and wife agree to when they are joined in marriage. Um, the word wasn't, was a familiar word that would have been used to describe anything where something has been held in common. So if people held a piece of land and it was joint ownership, they'd have said it was held in kononia. Or if they had a property or a house where there was joint entitlement in the deeds, then it would have been held in Koinonia. And, um, and so the word here is saying that there's something that these guys all held in common that they shared together. And um, 1 John 1 talks to us about fellowship in, in kind of two ways. We're told that uh, believers had fellowship firstly with God, like uh, vertically, and they shared something in common with God, and there was a partnership and there was a relationship with God. And um, John also says that fellowship is... Um, horizontal as well, in that um, we have relationship with God, but we also have fellowship and relationship with each other. And um, in 1 John 1, he kind of talks about the fact that these two are inseparable, that our relationship with God and our relationship with uh, brothers and sisters in Christ are kind of intermingled and interlinked. And through my relationships with my brothers and sisters, something of God is revealed. And through my relationship with God, there's some outpouring that affects my brothers and sisters. And there's this wonderful uh, picture of fellowship being demonstrated and received through those around in the body of Christ and through um, my time with God. And so I want to look at these two aspects today, uh, fellowship with God and fellowship with each other and uh, what that means for us. So firstly with God, sin at, uh, before Jesus came had separated us from God, so whilst we were created, whilst there was a deep sense of love towards mankind as a, as a whole, sin stood in the way and we're told that it was, it was almost like a barrier where God had to hold us at arm's length because sin could not dwell in the, in the presence of God. It, it repulsed him but at the same time there was this sense of um, love as, as God looked at his children and I think as a father myself I can't, I can't imagine what that must be like to, you know, to be disjointed or to be arm's reach from your children knowing that, you, that there was something so strong between that, that you know, because of sin you couldn't couldn't be uh, restored, and yet there was this deep sense of longing and love at the same time. And then we know that God, because of his love for us, sent his son Jesus, who stepped in, in, the, in between this and took on board that sin, took on board all of our filthiness and all of our sin, 
went to the cross and died and rose again victoriously so that we might have our relationship restored and so that we might have fellowship with God. And, um, and we're in this incredible position now because of what Jesus did on the cross where we can be in fellowship with God, where no longer are we at arm's reach but that we can be restored to a right relationship with him. Um, Romans 8 describes this really, really well. It's lovely. It says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And so when the Holy Spirit was poured out, there's something in that, that spirit to spirit from, from us to God, we suddenly, there's, some, there's reconciliation through the cross. There's, we're told in the Bible that Jesus made peace with God. And um, there's something of the Holy Spirit in us that cries, Abba Father, that, that connects with God on, as, a, as a child would to their parent, that is so deep and meaningful and incredible that can only be felt by the, by the testimony of the Holy Spirit. And the, the Holy Spirit brought a sense of reality of this to the, to the, uh, the believers, the apostles, as they were gathered at this point. They'd, they'd, if you imagine, they'd had time spent with the person of Jesus Christ. They'd uh, walked with him and talked with him and seen incredible miracles and you know, known him as a friend and ate with him and prayed with him. And then he was taken away from them. But Jesus knew that you know, this would really disturb them. In fact, there was many accounts in the Bible where they've, they didn't quite understand when Jesus said he had to go. And Jesus promised this helper, this comforter, who would come in his place, who was like him, who would come and, and walk with them and talk with them and, and live with them. And we see in the early church that the, the Holy Spirit really did play this role where he walked and talked with them and where there was genuine fellowship with God through the Holy Spirit. We see that the early church... There's, there's phrases saying that the, Holy, the, the church prayed in the Spirit, they walked in the Spirit, they loved in the Spirit, they spoke in the Spirit. They, Paul, Paul describes in one account where he resolved to go to Macedonia through to Jerusalem in the Spirit. And there was this sense that they walked with a very real acknowledgement of the presence of God, of the Holy Spirit, and they walked very much in fellowship with God. As though they did when Jesus was alive, the Holy Spirit was that real to them where they really could say that they're in partnership, that they shared their lives with God, that um, he was very present, a very present help. And um, just as I was thinking about this, you know, fellowship with God first and foremost, you know, we, we know that the cross achieves this. We know that by taking on board our sin that we have access to the Father, that Jesus dies in our place. And yet I think there's something, something still to be grasped of the, the fellowship with God that this, this kind of, the, the blood purchased and this um, day by day walking with God that we could experience that it seems to be in the early church they had a very close walk with God through the Holy Spirit there's a very great sense of him being there and you know I've started to think well in, in my day you know when I'm at work just asking God to just come and you know when I, when I walk into a room I work a lot in the city and in Canary Wharf and sometimes I go into the room early before anyone gets there and just and I just pray and say God come come and be in this room, come and dwell, and come and be very present with me. Um, help me to do well today. Help me to glorify God in what I do. I know Dave said to me that, you know, he likes to go into his classroom early at school and, and goes and just says, you know, invite the Holy Spirit to come and dwell. And I think this is the walk that, you know, that is, that, that is there. Um, it's Jesus paid the price, and the Holy Spirit is, is a very present help um, that we can be and remain in fellowship with.
And um, we cannot separate this from each other. And, and today I want to focus mainly on our fellowship with each other because I think something of God is revealed through our fellowship with each other. If we look at the Bible, it seems to me that it's a very corporate story right from the very beginning where we see Adam and Eve, we see the tribe of Israel and Moses, where we see Jesus when he came, he chose 12 to be with him, to walk with him, to talk with him, to live with him, to share everything with him. And then we see an Acts um, with the apostles. There's a group of, group of the apostles and then there's this gathering of believers around. And it's a very corporate story. Even Joel's prophecy of the Holy Spirit coming was very corporate. God said that he would pour out his spirit on all flesh, on all men and women, old and young. Um, you know, the, the young would dream dreams, the old men would see visions. I've got that the other way around. But it was, it was a very corporate um, outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And we see that when the Holy Spirit chose to arrive at Pentecost, it was when they were gathered all together in one room. And it, we know it was one spirit, but then it divided among all of them and came down together. If we look upon, the, I guess, the resultant effects of the Holy Spirit coming in Acts, we can see that throughout the book, they, they seemed to do everything pretty much together from then on, from when the Holy Spirit was poured out um, amongst them. They did pretty much everything together. We can read that they worshipped together, they worked together, they prayed together, they studied together, they went out witnessing together, they shared together, they suffered together. They seemed to be... Um, I guess, intrinsically linked and bound up to each other as much as they were to Christ. And it was a very corporate affair. In Acts 2, at the point that we're looking at, this was kind of unprecedented. So there's this massive group, 3,000 believers had given their lives at this point. And um, it just struck me that this, this outpouring caused a very, a very uh, I guess, supernatural of God sense of fellowship because some of the things that we read about that they went on to do sharing food sharing possessions sharing time sharing each other's houses is, is definitely not natural um, if you think about some of the manifestations that we read about in Acts so if we if we look at possessions for instance that they were told that they came and bought all their possessions and shared them for the common good that is definitely something that I think without the Holy Spirit we wouldn't have an inclination to do if I look at my son um, if, you know, one of the hardest lessons that we have to teach at the moment is teaching him to share. Um, and it's definitely not something that we're born with, uh, naturally. And, you know, he, he's got some toys that he doesn't mind sharing, a few of them. But if anyone touches, like, a digger or a truck or <laughs> something that has construction abilities, if he just catches them out the corner of his eye, suddenly it's like, <laughs> like this, uh, floods of tears if someone goes near you know, any of his special toys. And, uh, you know, sharing is definitely not something that comes naturally to, to any children. I think adults probably are, are pretty bad. Sometimes I get um, called into to businesses just to run workshops on, you know, telling people how to, how to share, share the toys. No, it's, not, it's not too different sometimes, but just getting, you know, different departments to talk to each other and to share things that they're doing. Um, and it's amazing to see full-grown adults sometimes you know, with a real inability to, to share anything sometimes. Um, and yet, you know, in, with the Holy Spirit, I think there's something very, very beautiful in this. Um, you know, if we took, for instance, some of the instances that have gone on in the church, in our own fellowship here recently, you know, we've had a couple of people who've experienced um, burglaries, and 
and there's something of a sense of a, a corporate response to that. You know, if, if one person has had something taken from them, there's a, there's a, a sense of um, injustice and that we want to, in Christ, do something about this and respond to it in some way. And, and we're going to do that a little bit later in a very real way. But you see the people here, this, big, this group of believers, that they, they gave up everything and sold it for the common good. And that, that has to be a work of the Holy Spirit because they wouldn't have done that on their own, I can tell you that much. They also shared company, they worshipped together, they spent time in people's houses. Um, this too isn't something that comes naturally. You know, some people love the company of others. I personally love having people around. I know some people don't. Um, someone sent me a really funny YouTube clip recently where it, there was loads of people that were just sitting on their own um, in various places, like in airports or in the park, and they were sitting on you know, a park bench or they were sitting in a room on their own, and they'd just send someone to go and sit right next to them just to notice how they reacted. And every time, without fail, the person got up and left because, you know, there's just people have this thing about just not being too close to other people sometimes. Again, in a work setting, I have to travel an awful lot for work, and if you go to a, you know, to a business hotel in the evening, the restaurant is just full with individual people sitting one table away from each other, making sure there's a, a healthy gap between them all so that, you know, they don't have to talk or engage in any eye contact at all across the room. And, uh, you know, it's not a natural thing. I've often wondered what would happen if I just went and sat down next to one of them, you know, said, should we eat together, you know, should we have a chat? <laughs> you tell me about your life, I'll tell you about mine. I've not tried it. I don't think... It's just... I just thought it would be the other idea. <laughs> but um, again, in the fellowship of believers, we see something very beautiful here going on in Acts, that they truly loved, they were devoted to spending time with each other, in and out of each other's houses the entire time, love building each other up in the faith, praying for each other, um, encouraging each other, sharing time with each other. And um, I think there's a, a massive challenge here to, to really see what the result of a spirit-filled life should look like in light of fellowship that we really do view ourselves as one body. And, you know, if there's a need, we meet it. If there's someone who needs some company, then we go and see them. Food. Food we don't share very well either. Um, now, Natalie's made some biscuits for after church. Peanut butter and chocolate chip, my favourite. It pains me slightly to know that I'm not going to make it in time to have any of them. Because by the time I finish, they're always gone. I remember at university, um, we ha where you have like hall shared halls, and um, I don't know what it was like in yours, but for mine, there was one, like a shared kitchen, and people used to write little labels with their name and stick it on their food so that no one could share their food. Um, but it never worked, because every, every time you put something in, if it was vaguely nice, um, then it, people would share it without asking. And, uh, and so, you know, it got to the point where people would individually mark every single item in the fridge with their name so that everyone was without a doubt that who it belonged to and, um, and yet still people helped themselves like these little overnight things would just generally disappear and uh, you know uh, and people would like measure their blocks of cheese and they could tell that someone had shaved a little bit off even if it was only a tiny bit you knew that someone had taken something and sharing food is is quite terrible um, Dave and I were having a conversation about what it's like to be married and sharing food and Wives have this terminology that they use. They say, I'm just going to taste your food. I just want to taste a little bit. Um, and if you ever go out for dinner, <laughs> you ever go out for dinner, and they, what, what they'll say is, you order that really unhealthy chocolate version, 
I'm going to, I'll order the, the healthy one, and then I'm just going to taste yours. <laughs> I'll just taste it. <laughs> what the tasting ends up in is a swapping of plates, <laughs> and you don't get what you actually asked for in the first place. I, I, don't, I can't get used to showing my food. It's something I love very, very much. No matter how... <laughs> Um, but here in Acts, we see that actually they did share everything. And so, you know, even if someone had uh, laboured over a meal and spent ages cooking it, they would gladly welcome in their brothers and sisters and, and share. And as though, you know, it, it wasn't theirs to own, but it was for the benefit of all. There's this incredible picture of fellowship, of really sharing, again, that word cononia. They had everything in common. Whatever people had, they viewed it as for the good of the body and Across the board, food, possessions, time, money, uh, it was all shared together. And it's definitely an amazing, uh, I guess, testament of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit because this wouldn't have happened in, in this way before. Steph shared um, last week of the, you know, the cultural significance of eating together. But I tell you, it's it, the significance of uh, overcoming man's heart that is quite individualistic. individualistic <laughs> that one. Um, I think is. You know, it's, it's just incredible to see how they, how they lived and act together. Um, in, in Ephesians 4 and um, Corinthians 12, Paul describes the body of Christ, or likens it to a real body, really, which, well, you know, it's quite clever, a play on words. It's uh, like a real body. So those of, those of you here that are believers, like Paul, Paul says that Christ is the head, and then everyone here makes up the body, and that, you know, there's arms and legs and eyes and toenails... I wasn't pointing over there when I said toenails, you're just generally parts, parts of the body. But we all make up the body, and he says, you know, we're, we're all one. And for, for Christ to be revealed fully, it takes all of us working together. And I think there's definitely something on the Holy Spirit's agenda of wanting the body to work effectively so that Christ is revealed amongst us and to those that don't know Christ. Um, Jesus said it's because of the love that people will see amongst us that will be a, a testament to him. And um, we need to kind of, I guess, grasp this idea that we really are one body and that even though we all disperse off on a, you know, on a Sunday back to our own homes, there's, you know, we, we are all very much together and, and all in this together. And um, in fact, let me read from a little bit from, from Corinthians because it's, it's, a, it's a good picture to hold in your minds when you consider fellowship. Um, what this really means from a, a biblical perspective. So 1 Corinthians 12, let me read a little bit, little bit from. So this is from 12.14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less of a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to that body, that would not make it any less than part of the body. If the whole body were an eye... Where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged them, the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And there's something in us all working together and all playing our parts and all finding the areas where God has graced you in, that collectively it just paints this incredible picture of God. And God is revealed in, in the body. This is how he's chosen to reveal himself through the church. Um, so that from an onlooker, it just looks incredible. But actually also being in it looks quite good as well to me. For the believers, for the family, there should be something of a sense of, of unity, of sharing, of real family. 
Um, Paul goes on to say that because we're one body, like if one, if one hurts, then all hurts. If one rejoices, then all rejoices. And so when things happen, like, you know, with Joel and uh, Houselsberg or with Foxy and Rach, you know, it hurts. It hurts. If it hurts them, then it hurts me. And, you know, together, then we can corporately respond to that and say, no, we're not going to have that. We're not going to let that go by. We're going to respond to that. We're going to pray for them. We're going to love them. And we're going to see them, you know, restored back um, and, and kind of, you know, reverse all the, all the bad that was done. We're going to bless you back with as much love as we can. Um, and likewise, when something great happens, like when we can rejoice... Um, you know, like for Seb leaving, not, we're not rejoicing. <laughs> we're not rejoicing, but we can rejoice because of what God's doing in his life because, you know, God's moving him on and there's a new chapter in his life. And, and because he's part of the body, then we can rejoice with him. When something happens, we can feel it. And this is how the body should be, that we can all respond together and, and f- cry with each other, laugh with each other, share with each other, um, feel joy with one another. And it's just, it's a wonderful, wonderful picture of what it could be. Um, so practically, I think there's a bit of a, a charge to make this happen. We, we know that the Holy Spirit was poured out and that as a result, this magnificent picture of the body of Christ started to develop. Um, but also, I think, throughout the, um, certainly throughout the New Testament, there's encouragements to us, those of us that consider ourselves part of the body, to really apply this and to make it happen a little bit. So, for instance, um, we're told in 1 Corinthians that the spiritual gifts, as I said earlier, are there... Um, you know, to benefit the body as well. So when we come together um, and, and we're standing at the front saying, come on, if anyone's got a word or a song that they want to sing or a scripture that they want to bring, um, it's not really to test your, you know, your reading skills or anything like that. It's so actually when you do that, you really bless the body. And so when, I, when we hear someone else praying, that, you know, people over here are lifted up. And when someone at the back over there sings... Uh, you know, a song to the Lord, telling him how much they love him, then the rest of the body can join in and say yes and amen. And when someone has a prophetic picture of someone else, the rest of us can say, wow, look how God knows, look how he can see individual circumstances. And so, you know, everyone has a part to play and so that God can be revealed. It's so the glory can go back to God. But, you know, we want we want this to be a functioning body and it's, it's definitely, you know, the Holy Spirit's in those who believe and... and um, there's, just, there's, a, there's, there's some co-laboring to be done with Christ in this. Um, also, encouragement. We see that you know, encouraging each other is a gift of the Holy Spirit. That we can, you know, if you see one of your brothers or sisters, just tell them, tell them what you love about them. Say to Phil, Phil, I love it every time that you know, I meet you. You're always just full of strength and encouragement and your passion to pray or whatever it is. Joel, it's so good, <laughs> it's so good to see you back. It's, you know, like, wh- whatever it might be, just to just to give words of encouragement to each other. You know, you don't get much of it anywhere else, I can tell you that much. Um, you don't get much of it in the workplace very often. Um, it's probably the opposite. And so when we come together, there's something of encouraging each other in Christ as well, in telling each other that you love, love each other and, and telling each other what you see of Christ in each other's lives and building each other up and strengthening each other so that then you might go out and impact those world around. When we come together like this, it should be a time where you're just overwhelmed by the sense of God because of what he's doing in that life and that life and that life and that life and because of the testimonies of the way God has turned situations around and, and moved in people's lives and you know, won their lost families and healed the sick and that we rejoice all together as one so that then we might go out and just think, wow, God is amazing. I'm going to go and tell everyone. 
it's a, you know, it's, a, it's a great picture of what it could look like. And so I think you know, there's things that we can do with each other just to think, well, how can, I, how can I help build up this body today? How can I make it my concern that we're, we're an effective body and that we all work together? And this is definitely something that is on the, on the Holy Spirit's heart um, today, that we just grasp this picture of fellowship. It's not just that they were sharing food and in each other's houses, but they held something in common. They held this knowledge of who Christ was. They knew that he was who he said he was. He was the son of God. He wasn't just a person that came and walked. He was a man who came, lived an absolutely perfect and blameless life, who gave himself for them and made peace with God through his death and resurrection. And they know that they all shared this in common. I think there's nothing greater that we could say, well, those of you who who are here today who think they consider themselves to be believers, there's nothing greater that we could share in common you know, there's tremendous uh, diversity in the room, which is brilliant in terms of, you know, backgrounds and experiences and age and level of how good-looking you are. Um, but, yeah, we all have this incredible thing in common. <laughs> yeah. All have this incredible truth in common that, well... For those of you that know Jesus, we have this truth that we know who Jesus is, we know what he's done, and we can rejoice in that together. And it's something that is incredibly unifying, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit. And, and also for those who don't know Jesus, then it should be something that they can look on and say, wow, there's something about these people. I don't know what it is, but there's something about them that um, just, just causes them to come together like nothing else and causes them to love each other beyond um, circumstances and, and for them to say, I want some of that. Um, we were singing earlier about the Holy Spirit being like a river and, and Jesus said that um, it will be like rivers of living water and um, I, I believe that fellowship is, fellowship is firstly, you know, firstly that we can have fellowship with God through Jesus Christ we can have fellowship through each other with each other and, um, and that's who reveals Jesus but it doesn't end there it's like a river is supposed to be something that flows and keeps flowing out and out and out. And, and these things, our, our relationship with God and our way of relating to each other in a Christ-like way should be an incredible testament to those around. And, and um, Jesus said they would know, the world might know that they love me, that, that I came and loved them because of, because of what they should see, because of you know, coming, people observing how we interact with each other and how we give ourselves for each other and uh, favour each other above ourselves. And it should be this incredible thing that it, it then overflows out, out of here, out, out to all that we meet. And then it creates more worshippers for God, that they think, wow, there's something in this, there's just Jesus person is very, very real, and ultimately the glory goes back to God because more worshippers are created. They think, amazing God, you're just incredible, and the glory goes to him, it's all for his fame. One thing I... Um, learned, probably the only thing I learned from my geography degree was that rivers are cyclical, you know, and, and um, I think that God chooses these brilliant analogies so that we get things, you know, in the Bible, the body, we can, we can understand how body functions, and, the, and rivers of living water, because a river, it starts off somewhere, starts off high, you know, it rains down from heaven, a bit like the Holy Spirit rains down. It goes, starts at the top, it goes through the rivers, and then as the river c- approaches the sea, it divides up into deltas and splits up, you know, a bit like how the Holy Spirit should be coming through you, out through you, dividing up over all, all the people you 
come into contact with, you know, and then it ultimately the rivers go back into the sea. <laughs> the seas don't go up. They go into the sea and then it goes back in, you know, evaporates back up again. It's a it's cyclical effect. And I believe the Holy Spirit should be a similar kind of thing that we, you know, we can be in right relationship with God. We can be in right relationship with each other. It can impact those around. They give glory back to God and, and so it keeps coming around. And, and um, we're told to, to be filled and to keep being filled by the Holy Spirit and to be encouraged to, to seek God for more of his Holy Spirit because the more... The more I'm filled, hopefully then there's more overflow that goes into, you know, the people that I'm around, and it overflows into believers and non-believers, and there's a, a testimony and a witness to Jesus, and they too then get filled with the Holy Spirit, and that, you know, they come to know who Jesus is, and the glory goes back to God, and it keeps keeps on going <laughs> in that cycle. Um, so fellowship, fellowship is with God; it's with each other. Um, in an unprecedented way because, because of what Jesus did on the cross, the Holy Spirit was poured out so that we might um, be empowered to love God, to love each other and to love those who don't know him um, in an incredible way. And um, whilst we look at some of these things that occurred in Acts 2 and we think, wow, that's pretty, you know, that's pretty extreme maybe in the way that they lived, um, it's, it's a, just a picture of God really. It's a picture of of what he wants, and I think um, if we're looking at the spirit-filled life, then there's something amazing here in how these people fellowshiped with each other and how they shared things in common. And uh, it's a challenge to us to really think about how we view ourselves in this body, and not to not to get too proud to, you know, to ask for help or to to come along, but to really get involved and to and to dig into this body and to take part and to come along to prayer meetings and to get involved with gospel communities and to invest um, for the glory of God, for the good of the kingdom, so that it then might flow flow out, as we were singing in earlier, um, onto the streets and people around. That's the hope. <laughs>